What is one of the biggest limiters on capability on the high end of performance? Believe it or not, it's talent. Welcome to the Swim Brief. I'm Chris DeSantis. On this podcast, I share ideas that come out of coaching, sometimes my own coaching. Sometimes um, I'm talking with a guest and very often uh, I've been in conversation with another coach and I'm bringing that idea to this podcast. This week, I want to talk about something I've been noticing and thinking about a long time and it, and it concerns the subject of talent. Of course, before we get into any conversation, you know I like to define terms so let's talk a little bit about what talent is, because I think that it's a, a term that gets bandied about a lot in athletic settings without a lot of conversation around what it actually means. As I was getting ready to write this podcast, I thought about something that uh, I may have mentioned before in a lot of different contexts, but it's it's relevant to this discussion of talent. I, I did an exercise with my Danish team that I was coaching once we were, we were on a training camp and, you know, people had just, which has been swimming really hard. And I thought, okay, it's time f- to let everybody sit on the pool deck and talk a little bit. So I asked the kids on the team to define what talent was. And I had a big whiteboard up at the front and, um, you know, I was going to write down some of what they came up with. And I, I basically gave them a free association. Let's let's just talk about anything within the sport of swimming that they associate with the word talent. And I'm telling you, the list was really long. I, I would guess we probably came up with 40 different things that they associated with talent. Then the second question I asked them, I said, which of these things is it possible for you to change? right? Can you, can you augment some of these things? And out of a list of 40 items, okay, I think we had two things left on the list. One of them I remember was physical body size, as in you can't change your height or the dimensions of your limbs, et cetera, which is still largely true, even with recent develops Developments in medical science, um, you know, there, there's, there's for the most part, um, yeah, you're not able to do that, right? I know that there is a, a, exceptions. There's people listening to this who, you know, watch some TikTok on ling, 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 limb lengthening. That's a hard thing to say. Limb lengthening uh, surgery. Um, and actually, uh, yeah. So the second one which I would challenge now was your physiological response to training. Um, I don't believe now, (laughs) I did believe essentially then that, you know, you had a certain physiology and that dictated how you responded to training and you largely couldn't change that. Um, You know, the idea basically being something along the lines of like, hey, Michael Phelps, he can tolerate uh, more training and clear training byproducts like lactic acid faster or produce less or whatever. Right. Um, and that's just like something special, magical about him that you don't have. Um, I do think that that is largely changeable, but here I'm getting distracted again. If we go back to the point of the exercise and one of the reasons why I think people get really confused about talent 
is, and, and one of the reasons I think it's very hard to define is right. People associated all manner of things, the, you know, the technique that you had, how strong you were, all of these things with quote unquote talent. But when you actually looked at them, you know, if, if you were to devise a plan for how to change those things, those are changeable items. Those are things that you can do something about. And so I think that really talent is an aptitude for performing at something that goes beyond our ability to rationally explain it. Okay. An example of this is if we put a bunch of novices in a race, one of them will often be a lot faster than the others. And despite us not being able to define how they got fast, but we'll call that talent, right? We'll just say like, well, that person's got a little bit of talent because we see them performing, you know, relative to other people. And we don't really understand the inputs that got them to that place. Um, And so, you know, it's just a shortcut basically for our brain, a heuristic to say, well, there's some talent there, right? Because I can't really explain this. Um, and in that way, we actually get away from the whole exercise that I'm doing, right? Because height and limb length and all that, that, that's something you can see and define in people. But to me, that's more of an attempt to, um, you know, when you force people to sit down and actually think about what talent is, it's sort of like, um, you know, asking somebody to explain the universe, right? Nobody really knows. Um, So to get us a little bit closer, I'm going to tell you how I think about talent internally within your own personal dialogue, because I think that that is actually what is relevant um, to people that are coaching, people that are doing a sport, um, is how you think about talent within your own mind. And um, I think that a lot of people view talent uh, as sort of a perception, um, a self-perception of how much effort something is going to take for you to do. And I think that's the first clue of where I'm headed with this. The, The first inkling that talent can be a curse and a limiter when you actually consider its role in reaching your potential capability at anything. Um, it was at this point in writing this podcast that I, I put the next section was all about me and my own sort of perception of my own talent. And I realized nobody wants to hear that. If you do want to hear that and you're a listener, you can tell me, maybe I'll include it in a later one, but I'm actually going to talk about um, my coaching career and some of what I've seen in terms of what I'm talking about. Uh, in talent. And um, I really, I think I've, I've run the, the spectrum, even within individual teams that I've coached. Um, again, I, I go back to my time coaching in Denmark. Uh, I had two swimmers in the same group that came every day and did more or less the same training, same dry land, same workouts, obviously different intervals, speeds, et cetera. Okay. One of them went on to swim in the 2021 Olympics. 
Okay. She was just 14, 15 years old at that time. Um, she's one of the top junior swimmers in Denmark. And the other had, she ever swam a short course yards meet. I'm just translating for my American audience, right? I could almost guarantee would not have broken one minute in the hundred free in short course yards. Right. Um, you know, so where does that put the difference? I think these two swimmers, even at that time in a long course, hundred free, there was about 15 seconds separating them. But my experience in Denmark was actually really transformative with how I viewed talent because I came out of a college system, a power five college system, no less, right. I was at Georgia tech and um, I had more or less only coached in a college system after graduating college myself. And so there was an assumed level of talent there, right? That these are, this is the cream of the crop. These are the people with, um, you know, the highest end talent. I remember even an experience that while I was at Georgia Tech, and, and maybe I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself in the story here, um, while I was at Georgia Tech, I, I went back to, for an alumni swim meet at my alum, my, my college, Colby College. This is the only time I've been back since then. And, uh, you know, I was there with my teammates and they wanted to know, like, well, what was Georgia Tech? Like, what are these swimmers like? You know, what um, are they? Are they all like, you know, six foot five giants and um, with crazy big feet and, um, you know, just these like sort of demigods walking on earth. And I sort of told them like, they're not that, they're not as different from us as, as you would think. And I think that got even further cemented um, when I went to Denmark because getting into a club environment there and I think this this is a this is a clear message that I want to send to anybody who's a club swimming coach who's you know um, uh, never gotten up to that sort of elite college system and you're thinking like oh man am I missing out well just consider that what I'm about to tell you because um, what struck me getting into a club environment in Denmark was that I could see that there were way more swimmers than I thought on a club we had a club of roughly a hundred. Swimmers, that's a, I guess that's actually an average size club in America. I want to say small club, but that's, if you go off USA swimming statistics, uh, that's an actually basically an average size club, but there were way more swimmers on a club that size that I could visualize that I could see them having the potential to compete at a level like Georgia tech. Um, put another way, I didn't find that talent the unexplainable piece of what makes somebody good, but you still see it was a true limiting factor for most people in getting to um, one of the highest levels of competition. Of course, that's also not to say that anyone can be competitive at, at that level. Right. I, while I'm saying that there were a lot of people that I could visualize, right. Um, you know, you're, you're thinking back to the, well, what about the swimmer that, you, you're, you're almost guaranteeing couldn't break a minute in yards. Yeah. I don't think that um, I couldn't envision a scenario where uh, she was going to be uh, Georgia tech level competitive. 
but I'll, I'll tell you something about her. And in fact, I'm a little bit haunted because, um, you know, late in my career in that club, I, you know, we were space limited. Um, we often sometimes just trained in, in two long course lanes. Um, and I had grown the group to a much bigger size than anyone in Denmark thought was, um, I should have, right. I think I had about 20 swimmers. Um, and I, you know, there's constant feed of younger swimmers up from the bottom. So, um, I told her there was no space for her in the, in the group the year that I ended up getting fired. Um, and that was despite the fact that this is summer of the great attitude, stellar attendance, hardworking. Um, but I will say she also had a sense of, um, she had a certain level of resignation. She had a sense of competitively, like, this is where I deserve to be. It doesn't matter what I do. I will not be competitive with these other swimmers. And I think somewhere in between the experience of, you know, that, that swimmer that obviously I coached somebody that went on to swim at the Olympics, made a semifinal at the Olympics. Um, I think most of us would agree that's a pretty talented swimmer, especially when they're also performing better than their peers at a young age. Right. Um, I think that somewhere in between um, a sort of high talent perception and a low talent perception that I just described, there is a Goldilocks level, right. That fits just right. Because if your perception of how easy it is to get to a certain level is too high, that is you think of yourself as extremely talented, you will not understand what it takes to get better. Right. Um, if, if stuff comes really easily to you, and I always, I always say like, really, you perceive it as coming easily to you. Right. Um, then you're not really paying attention. <laughs> like you may be forming some association with the stuff that you're doing as quote unquote working, but you're, you're, it makes it very, very hard for you to perceive what it actually takes to get better. And if your perception is that it is so extremely hard for you because you're so untalented. And uh, this is one of the perceptions I had of myself at certain levels of swimming. You will also not understand what it takes to get better because you think, well, I have no magic and none of the things that, you know, potentially work for people to improve and be competitive, quote, work for me. I don't have that magic stuff. You don't have that magic lactic clearance um, physiology or whatever, right? I'm not tall enough. Um, so why don't we work from the positive psychology end of it? Let's extract from each sort of end of the talent perception spectrum, the qualities that we want to replicate in anyone. Instead of trying to fix perceived talent or the existential grind of thinking you have little to no talent, what can we take from both experiences that are actually useful? What I will say about having a baseline perception of, sorry, I, what I will say about perceiving that you are talented, right? That, um, you know, you, 
you, you get a baseline perception that you can play in any game, right? You are less prone to walking into a room and being intimidated by who you're going to compete with. Nobody wants to play in a game that they think is totally rigged against them. If you care about what you're doing, you're competitive and you want to do well. Perceived talent tells you, even if you don't understand what it's going to take for you to improve and get better, it tells you you have a chance to do well. And an underrated piece of that perception can also be the stability of your self-efficacy. Um, you know, believing in your capabilities, your potential, your talent, um, truly means that you don't end up spiraling uh, when you meet a moment of failure, right? Going like, oh my God, maybe I'm bad, right? Um, you can maintain a pretty stable optimism that you're going to do well in subsequent evaluations, we'll call them. Um, that, that those bad performances you have are anomalies. And if you're trying to accomplish something over a long period, right, which many people get to a stage of swimming where, you know, the improvement on the clock can be uh, long and far between, it's really good to maintain some self-efficacy. And uh, I've used this term a couple of times now, just self-efficacy is your perception of what you can do. Um, and I use this a lot more uh, in my coaching than the more popular cousin, self-esteem, um, which, you know, to distinguish between the two, again, self-efficacy is what you think you can do. Self-efficacy, self-esteem, sorry, is more about like how you view yourself. I am good. I am bad. I am, I am smart, right? I am talented, etc. Um, and so I try to shift people's talent into more of a analysis of what are you capable of, right? What can you do? Because when that's your perception of talent um, and you perceive that you do have talent, right? You, um, you have agency in a lot of situations. Um, what is good about thinking you're not very good um, I would say having low self-esteem or sort of low self-talent perception or that it takes a lot of effort to get better at something. Um, you can get much more aware of the steps that you are taking to improve because, you know, you're going to have more memory if you perceive that things are effortful, right? They're going to, they're going to stick a little bit more, um, and so there's a sweet spot where you actually believe much more in the various things you can use to augment your skill level. You're going to think much more broadly about how you could possibly improve. I mean, a high talent perception can really dull your creativity because if you, if you don't really, like I'll give you, if you just think it was like, you know, you don't understand how you got somewhere. Well, it's hard to generate new ideas about what to do next. But if you have viewed like, oh my gosh, there's been so many different moments, then you have a pretty open mind that there's like a lot more out there that could potentially 
get you to a little bit better place. And actually understanding how you improve is probably the most underrated mental skill that I teach athletes. Often I work with athletes that are feeling a lot of conflict because they're suddenly perceiving that it's not easy for them to progress, right? They had unexplainable things propelling them forward. And then all of a sudden the magical ride stopped and now they're trying to fix it and get back, right? And I would say, crucially, it's at this step that you should internalize the mantra, there is no going back, right? Say it again. There is no going back. In the sport of swimming, we all get a period where, quote unquote, talent carries us. It is the years of development through puberty where we just get bigger, stronger, and more athletic by the month, nearly. And then it stops. And... That's when the actual fun begins, but talent can seem like a curse because that aptitude or that perception of aptitude often means that we don't know how to expand our capabilities beyond where we are. So we end up flailing around trying to recreate that magical period. Like, oh, if I could just get back to that, where there's no natural circumstances that you can recreate it. Um, And let me conclude it by connecting this idea to something I've explored in recent weeks. I've discussed with a lot of teams the role of failure at a podcast last week. She had a wonderful conversation with somebody um, about the role of failure in long-term success. One of the things that I think talent does or talent perception is it's insulate you for long stretches as you begin working on something from a feeling of failure. And I said to somebody earlier, um, in the, like success in the short term, I think makes you more vulnerable to failure in the long term. This is not what most people believe, by the way, almost everybody that I coach thinks, well, I, I, I really should do well at the next competition because that makes it more likely that I'll do well in future competitions. I actually think it's the reverse, right? Um, doing well makes you more vulnerable to failure in the long term, doing well in the short term, failure in the short term makes you, makes you more likely to succeed in the long term. Right. But if you're insulated from a feeling of failure for a long time, you can incorrectly learn that failure is not a part of the process of improving at something, right? If you have this long stretch where you're just improving, 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 And you go like, I never fail. That's what's great about me. I'm one of the magical people that always gets better. Then you start, quote unquote, failing. You take failure as a sign that something's wrong or broken or in need of fixing. Instead, of course, I think that failure is actually the rocket fuel for future development. And that's why I said that's when the actual fun begins, when you get off that sort of genetic free ride. But you have to know, you have to understand what's going on to actually allow failure to play its role. Um, Because on the flip side, if you persist at something for a long time without it feeling easy, you're more likely to learn that failure is a learning opportunity, normal and good. So basically, talent or perceived talent is a recipe for being good at something. But when you get to a certain level, it turns into a limiting factor of whether or not you actually achieve your full potential in it. 
you can move past that limitation if you can accept that things will never be like that effortless feeling magical period and start noticing what little things you can actually augment where you have agency to influence how you grow. That's all for this week. Another busy one. Um, I'm heading out later uh, to be at the Big Al Invitational at Princeton University. If you're at the meet and you're a listener, please come and say hi. I always love to meet a Swim Brief listener in real life. Otherwise, you can message me, swimbriefpodcast at gmail.com, christycoach.com, or at my socials, chrisd underscore coach on Instagram, cdswimcoach on Facebook, and I'll see you next week.